Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast, a July edition, which is kind of hard to believe. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. The star of the show, as always, is the award-winning columnist, Greg Doyle. Can you believe it's July 1st? It's weird to think that, can you believe it's July 1st, like things have gone by quickly because with the pandemic, I don't think things have really necessarily gone by quickly in 2020, but just kind of with all we've been through, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like we're already this deeply into summer. It does seem like we've we've hit a rhythm. I, I, don't, I mean, I know I have. It seems like the world has kind of hit a rhythm. This new normal that we have, and and of course, it's going to change. It's going to get it's going to get better. Or it's going to get worse. Who knows? But the, the the normal we've had for about three months, I think we're all kind of comfortable with it. And yeah, those first couple of weeks were forever, but now we're just ripping right through them. Uh, ripping right through towards the return of sports as well. Yes, we've had NASCAR and IndyCar and and some others, uh, you know, soccer already return. Uh, but of course, the end of this month, the NBA in their bubble, um, Major League Baseball, the NHL, um, you know, college sports with the fall coming up, guys being back on campus and all of that. Um, with, with where we are today, Greg, how do you feel about it? Apprehensive? Like, w- what word would you use to describe how you feel about this return this this hyperdrive return for sports because before you know it it's going to be here yeah um skeptical um and that i'm not skeptical about the indycar the grand prix i'm not skeptical about the brickyard but but the big ones the big ones are baseball and basketball and uh i'm i'm skeptical to the point of i don't think either one's going to happen and uh and I, and I realized that the only way either sport can come back is everybody has to try to go full speed ahead until they get told or they decide can't do it. So I get why they're trying to go full speed ahead, but this kind of feels like Christmas Day where you really, really, really want to get that special toy, but you can't get your hopes up too much because that toy might not be there. Um, that's kind of where I am right now is I just can't get my hopes up too much because I don't think it's going to happen. I'm a big cross that bridge when we get there guy, but let's say for baseball, if suddenly you test positive and a player has to self quarantine for two weeks, you know, two weeks in an eight week season is, you know, I wasn't a math major at IU. That's a quarter of the season right there that you can lose somebody. And that's just one person. If you lose somebody else, you know, then then suddenly you're just kind of adding on to that. I, I just, I'm worried about starting and then having it be a total disaster rather than avoiding all of that and just canceling. Like, I, I don't want to be fearful of falling on my face, I guess, if I'm MLB or the NBA. I, I want to try just to say that I tried, but there's a good chance, Greg, that these attempts at trying to have a season are going to end up being a total and complete cluster, you know what? Yeah, the, the concern, um, and I've got, a, I've got a real concern about the Indy 500 in August, but the concern is that, as we play these sports and bring these people together, are we in a, in a country where, you know, we're, clearly we're, we're losing the battle. I mean, we're not going to mm-hmm. lose the battle. It's not going to wipe us out, but you, you look around the, around the world and America has one fourth of all the coronavirus positive tests, one fourth of all the deaths, one fourth. We are 5% roughly four or 5% of the entire world's population but we've got five or six times that many deaths. And, and we're allegedly the richest, most advanced, best country in the world. And yet it's kicking our ass. And we're going to add to that by now we're going to have NBA players in a bubble and, and baseball players maybe playing. And, 
and Lord knows the Indy 500, don't even get me started on that one, with 175,000 people, what could possibly go wrong? I just feel it's, it feels a little bit irresponsible. And I don't, I, I mean, I hate to be, I'm always that Mr. Bad News guy, but this is, uh, <laughs> this is something, I mean, this is, well, this is life and death. This is life and death. And even I'm a, as a sports writer who is missing weeks of pay as I go on furlough because there's no sports to write about, I still just can't get too excited about what's happening yet. It just seems a little bit too soon. I ne- never would have thought in March, I would say late July, July is too soon. Never thought that, but here we are. And I was going to lead Oladipo, but let's just go ahead and go right into the 500 because I- I'm kind of like you. You know, 175,000 people, I don't care that it's a two and a half mile old. 175,000 people is a lot of people. And you've been to the Indy 500, Greg. I've been to, I don't know, 20 of them. I've camped out in the Coke lot. It is not an occasion for social distancing. It's just not. <laughs> you know, you're, you're there. It's camaraderie. It's, uh, it's drinking. It's celebrating. It's hugging. It's high-fiving. It's wearing American flag cutoffs. Um, it's, it's just not one of these. It's not a wine and tea party. And so that's what I worry about when, you know, they talk about social distancing, even at an enormous place, which the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is, is a gigantic facility uh, of trying to pull that off. But then, you know, part of me is also like they have really smart people in control of the thing. Roger Penske, Mark Miles, Doug Bulls, etc. And they've been planning this for a long time. And I think there's going to be contingency plans on contingency plans on contingency plans. I, I think they have to approach it like it's a business and they're, they're trying to do the best that they can uh, for their fans and for their bottom line. So I, I kind of get where they're coming from. I mean, I'm apprehensive like you, Greg, but I don't know. Am I wrong to think that? That I, I don't think they're going out there thinking to themselves, we want to put everybody in danger to make a buck. But I, I do think that they have to at least approach it as, hey, let's see where we're at in August and let's have this plan in place in case this is feasible. And if it's not feasible, then adjust on the fly. Um, there's two things here. There, there's, there's two ways to look at this. One is 175,000 people in a speedway that big, they can all sit six feet apart, if or at least the ones that aren't family and friends, they can have distance if they want. They can. Um, they won't, first of all. They won't. Some of them will, but they won't. All won't. But even if they do, um, that's not where the problem is. And there's going to be a problem. But that's not even where the big problem The big problem is they're standing in line for food and the bathroom. And we can all try to socially distance, but when, they're, when everybody's hungry and you want a beer, there's not going to – I mean yeah. – it's impossible. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's impossible. That's where people are going to get sick. You know, you look at that, that high school game that Kyle Nedenrip covered. It was a sectional in Cincinnati, a, the best sectional in the state. And four or five people from that sectional, I don't want to overdo it, but I don't want to underdo it either. I think four or five people from that sectional died of the coronavirus. And scores tested positive, and Kyle Nedenrip has found out. He's since he took the coronavirus test recently and found out he has antibodies which means he had it and he had some symptoms he said back in march so he caught it too that time you know that's and that was a thousand people whatever in a gym this is it's just too soon it's just we're not ready they're ready in some countries you know it's a shame it's almost a shame that the 500 can't be held in new zealand they don't have the coronavirus in new zealand um it's gone but it's going to be here in Indiana, and we're not even a hot spot we're just an average spot but our average spot is worse than most countries and so it's just, uh, again, I'm Mr. Bad News, but I just, I'm not worried about me dying, but I'm worrying about people dying. And I don't like, it's not worth it. 
I'll give you one thing that that made me angry. Um, and when he was asked about it, I thought Mark Miles kind of dug in on it. I think it's absolutely laughably ridiculous that they would even entertain the thought of having a live television blackout for this event during a pandemic. Uh, I, I just don't. If you're the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I have no idea how you encourage people 65 and older or people with underlying conditions not to come. And then in the other hand, say, oh, well, if you stay at home, you can't watch the race live. Sorry. Yeah, don't come, but you're not going to be able to. You, you got to watch the tape delay. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I would go as far as to say that it's irresponsible to do that because you're almost pressuring people into coming to the race. And people can say all they want about, well, they got they got tickets to sell and all that. Look, man, it's a, you know, 120 whatever thousand people have died uh, from this. This isn't this isn't about ticket sales and all of that. It's a pandemic. Lift the TV blackout. Uh, let people that are making a personal health decision to stay at home stay. I mean, I'm anti-blackout, period, to begin with, regardless of these circumstances. But with these circumstances, it's it's absolutely ludicrous that IMS would consider having a live TV blackout, in my opinion. there, There's no way to argue for that. So, you know, when you said it's not like people might say there is nothing to say. You you can't possibly argue for a blackout without using the word coronavirus because th this is this year is not like any other year so you can't talk about well they can sell the tickets or well they can well th there is no well well there, there is no well there is none uh unless you're going to use the word coronavirus the word pandemic the word covid the word death and once you use any of those words the argument's over like there is no argument you can't have the indy 500 on tape delay uh encouraging people to come to the event um knowing that they're going to get sick some of them i just it's it's awful um I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think maybe once they get to 175,000 tickets sold, and maybe they already have, but I think at some point they're going to announce the blackouts lifted. Yeah, I, I do too. But I do think uh, I know that um, as the race gets closer, right? I think when the blackout was announced, I was on furlough, so I wasn't writing that week. Um, and I'm not going to write it now. Although, you know, maybe next week after I go to the brickyard this weekend, at some point I'm going to write at the appropriate time, whatever that is. If they haven't looked at the blackout, I mean, I'm just one person. I'm not going to change their mind, but, but just like a lot of things in this world, whether it's the the racial division we have or wearing a mask or whatever, you know, this is the time when you got to say what you got to say, and we all have got to say what we got to say, and we hope it adds up. So yeah, the time's coming where I'm going to say what I got to say, and uh, it's going to be pretty mean. By the way, what's happening as far as you understand it? The procedures for the media at the Brickyard and the uh, and the IndyCar Grand Prix this weekend are are they letting you in the media center? Are they capping it? Do you, do you know anything about what the plan is for that? Oh, yeah. There's a cap. The, the Star, the Indy Star, the hometown paper, we, we are allowed two writers and one photographer, um, which is fine. I'm not mad about that. That's just – that's an example. Um, so you and so Nathan? Me and Nathan Brown and then Jenna Watson, our photographer, will be there. Gotcha. So they're, they're, they're clearly limiting because, you know, for – not that we do this for the 400, the Brickyard, but – I imagine that will be a similar number for the 502, although I don't know. There were 175,000 people in, but normally we'd send an army. We'd send a ton of people, and we're, we can't do it. Nobody can do that. Um, we're allowed only into the media center. Uh, we're not allowed anywhere. We can't walk back by the garages you know, with our media passes and get back in there and look at things. And uh, Gasoline Alley, on the track itself, looking at cars, I always like to do that for the race. I like to walk out there and just walk among those cars. They look like big giant toys can't do that so we are media center only and and we have to wear they want us to wear a mask i'm not sure if they mandated it i saw i saw an email today that they certainly are recommending masks they hope we wear wear masks 
and you know, when I first, uh, and now I'm segueing into mask awareness and we can move on to this later, but when I first started wearing a mask back in March or April, whenever it was, I remember, uh, being on the front edge of that, just like, you know, there are a lot of people on the front edge, but it, it wasn't nearly as common as it is now. And I remember kind of looking at people feeling in my head sheepish almost like, yeah, I know. I'm wearing a mask and you probably think I'm a chicken, whatever. I, I, I know I was, I wasn't embarrassed, but it was just a little bit sheepish. Like, yeah, I, you probably think I'm soft or whatever. I get it. Um, that was March. Now I felt, in other words, I felt judged. I felt judged. Maybe that's the better way to say it. I felt judged in March. Now in June, July, um, I'm now judging. If I'm in a store and I'm wearing a mask and you're not, I'm judging you. And that's not fair because there are times I've forgotten mine. I wrote about it this week. I leave it in my car and just kind of walk into a store and realize, oh, crap. Um, but th- but uh, I, there's a lot I want to say here, and I just, I'll leave it at this, that um, I judge. If you're not wearing a mask, if you're – because the mask isn't really in for you. It's I'm not wearing a mask for me. The, the mask is better – to protect others around us. Like if we are carrying the, the virus and we don't know it, the mask will help us not infect somebody else. So if you're not wearing a mask, you're basically telling me F you, or you're not smart enough or, or, or in this case, educated enough about this d- decision that you really don't understand what's at stake here. That you, as much as information is out there about masks and everything else, you actually don't know that, you're risking my life by walking near me with, without a mask. And I, I am judging every last damn one of you for that. I just think it was a real mistake and I get why they did it. I think it was a real mistake to come out initially when this whole thing started and not recommend masks right away because uh, in hindsight, I guess they were worried about frontline workers, nurses, doctors, not having enough PPE at the time. So they didn't want people to go out and go on Amazon and buy 10,000 N95 masks and keep it in their woodshed out back. You know what I mean? So there was conflicting information. And then, of course, then it became politicized where, okay, you wear a mask, you're a weakling. You don't wear a mask, you're a proud American and don't tread on me. And uh, I just think it's it's crazy that it's not crazy in the sense, Greg, that you knew that this was going to happen, right? But it's crazy that we've still, even in the face of this, allowed this to be politicized and, and to turn into this. Like, why why should anyone care about fabric coverings on your, over your face? How does that make you less of a man or a woman or <laughs> whatever, right? It's so stupid. Um, and, and how is it that big of a, a, an inconvenience is what I don't understand. People talking about like it's this like life-altering thing. Um, when I go into the grocery store, I'm in there for, I don't know, 20 minutes? And then... I get to my car, I put the groceries in, mask comes off, it goes on the, the you know, the driver's side seat, whatever, I'm done. I, I can breathe. It, it's really not, I, like, I don't even notice really when it's on a lot of the time. Um, I don't see what the big problem is. And, and you know, get, kind of getting back to IMS and, and all of that and, and what the Kentucky Derby did, um, this whole thing with uh, encouraging, uh, we're going to encourage masks encouraging masks doesn't do anything. Even if you mandated them, you would still have a lot of people bucking against you and not wearing them. But I I think at the very least, especially indoors, you should absolutely mandate them. Um, The science is still a little seemingly uh, tricky when it comes to outdoor transmission. But we do know like at 
at a packed sectional gym in March that this thing can spread like crazy when you're indoors. I don't understand why people aren't grasping the reality of the word might. It might help. At, at a bare minimum, yeah. it might help. And the science is pretty clear, um, certainly indoors and perhaps outdoors too, that it does help. But even if it might help, we're not talking about, well, it, it might help you avoid a grass stain on your knee. We're not talking about that. Well, it might help you not get a cow lick in your, in your bangs. No, no, no. It might help you not kill somebody. It might help you not die in six months horribly on a ventilator. It might help you not bringing home the virus to your grandmother and she now dies horribly in three months on a ventilator. It might. It might. Why isn't that enough for people? I don't understand that. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you when you say uh, that they made a mistake in not saying masks were mandatory um, back then. Because as you know, I mean, you said why they did it for that reason. But you, you saw what happened to toilet paper, right? You couldn't find toilet paper. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you, I get it. You couldn't find it. Imagine what people uh, would have yeah. done to masks, and how many nurses and 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 old people that need them, and people with underlying conditions wouldn't have found a mask because some jackass has a hundred masks along with his. Uh, um, what's that food that people have uh, in case of a uh, disaster? I know people that have that kind of, it's called Patriot food. Where MREs, case, those, those rations that the, the, the dry stuff that they give to troops and things like that. Yeah. Cause the world's going to end. Yeah. I know yeah, people yeah, that yeah. have those uh, in their basement and those people would have a hundred masks. The problem <laughs> is, is that people, and I don't really, I mean, you know, you got to put your, it's hard to empathize and even understand where people are coming from on something as serious as this. It's hard to understand why people, um, can't keep up with the news or just don't want to. They're clinging to any reason to not wear a mask. Well, in March, you said we didn't need one. Scientists don't know everything. E either A, you were right in March, or B, ah, nobody knows. In March, you said, no. well, yeah, but we, we time has passed. We know now. We, we, there's Don't move the goalposts and talk about what happened in March. Don't move the goalposts. I have some people send me links. Well, in May, the uh, CDC was saying this. Well, guess what? This is late June now, early July. They're not saying that anymore. So you can hang on to, you know, in 1491, the earth was flat. Are you going to tell me right now the earth is flat? Because back in 1491, all the leading heads said it was. Yeah. And, and you know what, Greg, that cuts both ways because those same people were praising Texas and Florida for opening up a month ago. Right. And saying, hey, look, they handled it really well. And, and look at where Florida especially is today with the cases. I mean, it's, it's spreading like wildfire. It's everywhere. It's a total disaster. So that cuts both ways. It's just this whole thing about, you know, personal freedoms and, and all of that. It, it, it just, I don't think it infringes really on your freedom to wear something at the grocery store and to help your fellow man. Isn't that part of what America is all about, helping each other? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm misunderstanding uh, what this country is all about. It's, it's sad, though. It's, it's sad that, as you said, you look around the world right now. And I think Brazil's having some problems too, but really America is one of the few places that's still really struggling with this. All these other places on the planet right now aren't even letting in Americans because it's either a passing thing or it's already gone in some cases in some of these countries, the coronavirus. Yeah, there's a lot of reason to be help, uh, helpful. I mean, hopeful because you can see that countries are beating this thing. This is not unbeatable. Uh, but we're, we, we can't because we've got too many people playing that freedom card and it's, you you know, people play that freedom card. You can't force me to do that. Don't tread on me card. So objectively, I mean, no one's, you know, you wear your, you wear your seatbelt. Um, yeah. 
you know, you, you, there's so many things that whether you want to do it or not, you do it because it's just the right thing to do. Um, but this, this is, uh, they don't want to do it. And it, it does come down to, they feel like they look weak or tough and it, you know, the, it's the weak people. And, and of course, weak people don't, will never understand this, but it's the weak people that won't, that don't cry. It's the weak people that don't say, I'm sorry. It's the weak people that don't say I'm wrong, but they don't know. I mean, weak doesn't know it's weak and you can't teach them. Uh, you can't tell them that, Hey, you're, you're wrong here because if they, if they fundamentally don't understand, uh, the concept of gravity, how do you explain it to them? There's either you get it or you don't. There's nothing to explain. Luckily, no one is going to force Victor Oladipo to play in the NBA bubble. He's going to be able to make his own decision, a decision that he has not come to yet. He spoke with the media earlier this morning. Were you on that Zoom call with Vic? I was morning? not. I was writing a, a Ryan Newman story that I'm very happy about. Yeah, well, it's great to see him back after God. What that, that Doesn't that feel like that was a year ago, that crash? I mean, that, that was what, February? Yeah, it was four, less than four months ago. Hard, no, four and a half wow. months ago now. Hard to believe. Crazy. Uh, but Victor Oladipo is saying today he still hasn't come to a decision yet. Everybody else is on board. Even Miles Turner, who originally said he was still going to contemplate maybe not playing um, a couple of weeks ago, is on board. Uh, the Pacers have already resumed the workouts at their facility, which they completely shut down to anybody but essential team personnel. Uh, but I just wanted to read this quote from Oladipo earlier today and get your reaction, uh, Greg. Quote, it takes time for the body to heal to go back and ramp things up again. I'm more susceptible to injury than anyone else. So it's not about now. It's about longevity. When I'm at my best, the team is at their best. Um, what do you think, Victor Oladipo? What would you do if you were Victor Oladipo in this situation? Ooh, boy. Um, well, I don't know. I I don't know. I the, You know, I, I'm, I have a strong opinion, obviously, about masks. I have a strong opinion about the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid if, if I feel... If I feel like I know something, I'll say, I, "Hey, I, this is what I know." I don't know about Vic Oladipo. I, I don't understand. I, I I understand this that I if he doesn't play, if he doesn't, or if the Pacers shut him down, I will completely understand that because you're he's not like everybody else. Uh, you know, he's not. He started up. He's you shut down. Starting up again. He's not coming off that injury. He's not like everybody else. Like Paul George four or five years ago. It, it, not like everybody else. So. I don't know what the right thing to do is. I, medical experts who know a lot more than me, like with the masks, medical experts who know a lot more than me say wear a mask. Okay, then I'm going to wear a mask and get mad at people who don't. But whoever Vic is talking with and the Pacers, those are medical experts. So I really don't. You know, this is oh, my pay grade. I don't, I don't. This one I don't get. But if he doesn't play, and any any one person out there is upset about that, you're probably not wearing a mask either because you're probably not very smart. <laughs> you know, there would be people upset about it course because oh, yeah. these guys are people view these guys as just their entertainment and they have to do exactly what i say uh if i was victor oladipo there is a zero percent chance that i would play zero none um and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he came back originally if victor oladipo hadn't come back for 13 games in late january february before the shutdown um i think it would make a lot more sense for him to come back now i think the real problem is he ramped up ramped up ramped up ramped up ramped up returned shut everything down again, and now has to ramp all the way back up again. Um, I think that's just going to be really difficult for him to do. Um, next year is a contract year for him. And, you know, Victor Oladipo spent three years at Indiana. So even though it doesn't feel like he's been in the league that long, when Victor Oladipo's contract is up next summer, Greg, he'll be 29. You know, that's you're at, at that point in your career, you're about to exit your prime years, really. Um, so 
you know, God forbid that something terrible, even something like an ACL, which is far less serious than it used to be, you know, God forbid something like that happened to him again, uh, this close to a contract year, it could greatly impact what he makes on the open market or even what he makes with the Pacers or, you know, whatever his future ends up being. Um, so I, I wouldn't blame him at all if he decided to sit out. In fact, that's, I think, the smart decision for him. I don't think he's going to let himself do that. I think he's going to play because I think that's the type of guy that he is. Just mentally, I'm not saying that that's the right or wrong decision. Um, but if I were him, I, I, I would make a business decision for myself. It sucks that you're letting down your teammates and everything like that. But that's how I would approach it. Yeah, and, and these injuries are different and these people are different. So I, I'm not saying because this happened to Kevin Durant, this will happen to Oladipo. And I'm not saying that, but that there's a cautionary tale there of, Ol yeah. of Durant. You know, he came back with one issue, uh, the calf, and – wasn't and, and probably maybe in hindsight shouldn't have come back and he blew out his Achilles. So again, I'm, I'm not saying Old Depot is going to hurt something else if he comes back, but I am just saying that that that's the risk here of a guy that suffered his in, an injury as serious as his and then shutting down, cut, cutting back. It, it, there's a reason why in Major League Baseball, um, this is not a perfect analogy either, but starting pitchers who start the game and there's a rain delay of more than 15, 20 minutes, they don't come back. They you, you you've warmed up, you've pitched. You've taken a break now. They don't start you back up again. It's just not mm -hmm. worth the risk. You'll you'll pitch in five days. So I, I kind of – I can see what you're saying. Uh, but, I, again, I defer to – because you know the Pacers, every step of the way, Kevin Pritchard and, and McMillan, McMillan have said that they don't care about this year nearly as much as they care about the next 10. They don't care about this year nearly as much as they care about Oladipo, that they will never do anything to risk his health. Now, having said that – um, we have seen what happened when the games began. You know, they talked about how he was going to be a minute restriction and, and he wasn't going to start. Certainly he wasn't going to start. And then the first couple of games, I forget how it played out, but it was just so awful that they changed. Ah, we're going to start him. Yeah. And ah, his minutes, might, I forget about the minutes, but I know they, start, they started him when they said they wouldn't. Um, so clearly their, their plans have changed in the form of what's best for the team along the way. But I feel like they've probably done that with his best interest also in mind. So, Again, if he plays, I'm convinced they think it's okay, and I'll be okay with that. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't think they're going to pressure him either way. I, don't, I just don't think that this is the type of organization that's going to do that. I, I take Nate McMillan and Kevin Pritchard for their word that they would never try to coerce Oladipo into a certain way. I think this is 100% going to be his decision. Um, but because of that, that's why I think he's going to come back and play because I – I just don't think he would forgive himself if he didn't come back and do it um, and be there for his team. Uh, that's just to me. That's just the kind of guy that he is. Um, other sports news that happening earlier this week. Your colleague uh, Zach Osterman wrote uh, a nice piece about the the long tenure of Fred Glass, the athletic director at, at Indiana University, coming to an end. Of course, we knew this was was going to happen whenever it was announced. I think it was maybe sometime in the late fall or very early winter that it was announced that Fred Glass was going to be stepping away. But now looking at the years in totality, which I know include a, a big chunk where you weren't yet in Indianapolis, Greg, but knowing what you know about Fred Glass, what do you think his legacy is from his time at IU? Well, it's uh, what it, what his legacy is and what it should be. You know, two different things. Um, his legacy is whatever Archie Miller does. So if Archie Miller gets fired in two years, that's Fred Glass's legacy. If Archie Miller, you know, turns the corner and gets gets this team into March Madness five or six or eight years in a row and goes to a Final Four or whatever, that's Fred Glass's legacy. That's how it is at a school like IU. 
um, a basketball school. How it should be, uh, it's clearly a lot more than that. Um, and that should be a big part of it. Whatever Archie does is a big part of it. But in totality, you, you look at what Fred has done for the uh, facilities at IU, not just Assembly Hall, Cook Hall, uh, football, and, and more, much more. He has raised a fortune um, at a time when, you know, when the, when the market's been up and down, um, he's raised a fortune and IU has drastically improved its facilities across the board at a time when its football team until the last couple of years wasn't any good. And now it's just mediocre, but mediocre is pretty good. You know, they're, and they're, they got a chance for more, more, but he was, he was raising money with nothing to sell. IU football was no good. He wasn't raising money with Bob Knight, you know, going to the final four. He was raising money with, you know, with, with Archie Miller and Tom Crean, you know, and the fan base getting mad at both of them. So that's remarkable. And then more than equally, maybe even more, is what he's done for the student-athlete experience. And I don't mean the, the computers and the tutors and all that. All that that's great. But um, he has made IU a place, and, and we're seeing it more and more now in the world, the way it's changing, that it needs to be this kind of place, that you don't tolerate – you don't tolerate nonsense from coaches and, and administrators that, you know, Kevin Wilson can't coach here. You, you, sorry, Kevin, you can't coach here. If that's how you are going to treat players, somebody's kids that are here not getting paid, you can't be here anymore. And he has strived so hard to make integrity and, and decency, you know, the benchmarks at IU. And uh, that's remarkable what all he's done. And it, what's sad is that whatever Archie Miller does, good or bad, that'll be Fred's legacy. But he's done a lot more than that. Yeah, I've grown to appreciate everything that he's done. And I think finally solving, we think, football has been the biggest, uh, the biggest gold star for, the, for Fred Glass because there were so many people that just could not solve Indiana football and, and even make it more than a punchline. At the very least, even if Indiana football still has a long way to go, which I think we both agree, it at least has emerged from the basement. It's not a national punchline anymore like it was for 50 years or, you know, 100 years, really. Um, that said, if I, if I own a burger place called Schultz's Burgers and I've got a really great chicken sandwich, uh, the fish sandwich is amazing, all of the sides, the fries, the onion rings are great, but the burger kind of sucks – that's what people are going to remember, right? They would be like, well, wait, it's Schultz's Burgers. That's great that everything else is good, but I, I came here, I wanted a burger. And I think that's the problem for Indiana. If Archie Miller isn't the guy, or if Indiana just kind of continues this long slog of eh, because that's really what they've been. It's not that Indiana basketball has been bad as a program. It's just been meh. It's been whatever for a long time. Um, then that's what I think people ultimately are going to remember, fairly or unfairly. Like, that's great that women's basketball has, has become a thing in Indiana. It's great that the baseball program, God, when I was at Indiana 20 years ago, Sembrower Field, that was worse than my high school field. Like, when we pulled up there near Briscoe and I was dropping a buddy of mine off at his dorm room, I was like, is this their baseball stadium? Are you serious? It was like this chain-link fence. It was a, it was a total joke. And now you go down there and it's a, a palace. It's beautiful. Um, so he's done a lot of great things and, you know, men's soccer has maintained their level. He's done a lot of great things for the other sports and done a lot of great things from, for, for football. But still, when you think of IU athletics, you think of men's basketball. And if men's basketball doesn't show that it's, that it's climbing out of this and that Archie Miller is the guy moving forward. I, I totally agree with you, Greg. That's just, 
And, and I think Fred Glass would admit that, wouldn't he? That that's what people are ultimately going to remember. Yeah, he did all these great things and the money and the facilities and these other sports, but dot, dot, dot. And then you talk about the basketball team and Archie Miller. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And and I guess that's that's fair. I mean, I, I guess that's fair. I, I suppose what I want to make hope that happens to Fred is that, and maybe Archie wins 30 games this year and this is not an issue, but if Archie doesn't work out, um, I would like that Fred doesn't get remembered like Rick Greenspan gets remembered. For, <laughs> you know, he's the guy that fired, hired Kelvin <laughs> Sampson, right? Of course, yes. I mean, the guy cheated, broke rules. You hired him anyway. You deserve that's, – that's, I don't care what you did for anybody else. That's what you deserve to be remembered, Rick Greenspan. It's a disaster, yes. Disaster. And, and, I mean, Archie's not anything close to that. But, anyway, I, I just – whatever happens with Archie, good or bad, whatever it is, I, I, I know that the first sentence of Fred's – the, the Fred's career epitaph, the first sentence will include the words basketball and Archie Miller, I'm sure. I just hope the second, third, and fourth sentences get into the other stuff he did also because it's been tremendous. Yeah, and regardless of what, like a lot of people bring up this Tom Crean departure, I think regardless of what Tom does down in Athens or what Archie does in Bloomington, um, I'll defend that decision 100 times out of 100. I just think it was the right time for both Indiana and for Tom Crean to move on. Um, and so I don't think, you know, I, I heard some people say, well, this will look even worse if Archie takes a nosedive and then Crean takes Georgia somewhere to the, you know, final four or something. Not that Georgia basketball could ever get there, but to something like that. And, and I, I don't think that has anything to do with the context of the decision that was made at the time. I, I thought that it was the right decision to, to do what he did. And I know that was, that had to have been the hardest decision probably of his entire tenure, right? Oh yeah, because Fred believes in you can see you can see how it how it worked with Tom Crean, how not how it worked, but what he did with Tom, and also what he's done with with Tom Allen is that he believes strongly in in, in continuity and supporting his coaches. Yeah, that's what he says. He, he he has two planks to building programs: continuity, in other words, don't fire a coach every three years, and then give them the resources they need to succeed. So yeah, he firing Tom Crean is not what he does. He he wants to give a guy too many years rather than too few. And we can argue, I mean, well, the results are what they are. But, you know, Tom Allen could have been fired. Another AD, there are ADs who would have fired Tom Allen after two years. There are. I'm not saying they should have. I'm just saying that that, that kind of thing happens. It was never going to happen with Fred. And you look where Tom is now and you think, oh, thank goodness, it, you know, thank goodness this guy's still here because he's he's the best football coach they've had since, most effective football coach they've had since the late 60s, it looks like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly since the, the Mallory era, uh, when they were, you know, pretty regularly going to bowl games there in the okay. late 80s and then the very early 90s. But, you know, when you talk about Indiana football history, Greg, there's really not much to point to. I mean, it's been a whole lot of suck for really a century. So the bar <laughs> is not very high. Um, you just wish that they could have. They had that Gator Bowl in the bag. I mean, how they blew that game to Tennessee. God. And, you know, you talk about all these events that happened late in 2019 or early in 2020. They all feel like they were 10 years ago. You, you remember the Gator Bowl was six months ago, and it feels like it was a century ago. Um, latest columns, you've got a great one about a pair of twins at Roncalli, um, a sad one about, you know, RIP to Marms the Cat, who your son saved, also about masking as well. So um, I, I wanted you to kind of talk about all three of those because they're, they're not really in the sports realm, but I, I love when you do features and I love the non-sports stuff that you do as much as the sports stuff. Well, and, and so do I, actually. Um, yeah, and I've got a couple I'm working on right now. I've got one, uh, just real quick, uh, to, to talk about the future. This is crazy, but um, so my, my girlfriend, Whitney, 
lives uh, near Mass Ave within walking distance. And so I'm there all the time and she's got a dog. I'm walking her dog all the time. And the, the, the Indi- fire station two is right there. The Indiana firefighters museum is right there. You can almost, you can pretty much see it from her house just about. And uh, so I'm there all the time with her dog, little Indy, cute little, cute little miniature schnauzer, odd little creature, but a cute one. Um, so I, I'm there with Indy all the time. Indy loves the courtyard right outside. She's not peeing on the firefighters facility. She just loves to stand there and just kind of watch the world go by and sniff and all that. So I'm always there reading these. They've got these five granite stones that are, that are vertical, four feet, six feet, eight feet. And they have names of fallen firefighters. Well, two names caught my attention, two names from another century caught my attention. And I've, I'm writing 2000 words about two fires that happened in the 1800s. So you just never know what I'm going to, you just never know what I'm going to do. Uh, but yeah, the, the wearing mask thing, People aren't wearing them enough in this country, and so what I, tr- I tried to find a way to encourage people to wear it, and clearly saving lives, people don't think it's necessary. Clearly, people don't think it's the ones that aren't wearing it. They don't think they they don't see the correlation between if I wear a mask, there's a pretty good there's a better chance if we all wear masks that my kids will have school all fall because we, we won't spread it anymore. People aren't getting that; they don't care. So I I threw the word football at them, like, do you want to have football or don't you? Because if this thing keeps spreading, we're not having football. And if we are, yeah. you can't go to the games. But we're not even going to have football if this keeps spreading or if it stays where it is. If it stays right where it is, we're not having football. So anyway, I, I threw that out there. But yeah, Marms um, Yeah, Marms is uh, my, my, my son's cat who I've had for three months. And yeah, this is a hard week. We has nothing to do with sports, and I don't care. Uh, it helps me heal a little bit, I think, to write about it and – and I want to have that memory for my family. And my son's here with me right now. And he, he was going to take a picture of the newspaper. I'm like, no, 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 you, you can take that paper home. You know, that's your paper. That's, that's our cat, but your cat. But see, so yeah, I'll write about any number of things, but some sad, some happy, some angry. And uh, again, write about the fires in, in 1870. Some, some weird. Yeah. Love of a family pet though is about the most universally relatable thing that there is. Right. Cause we've all kind of been through that before. So I think that's what really people connect with. You can check that out, IndyStar.com. Please subscribe, the app as well. Greg's got his very own tab on there because he's super important. And the next edition of Doyle and Derek comes your way next week. Until then, Greg, I'll see you then. Thanks, buddy. You are the best, Derek. I'll see you later. Bye, guys.